Okay, looks like we're good. And welcome everybody to another episode of Workflow Wednesday. Uh, today we're joined by director, photographer, cinematographer. There's a lot. Okay. There were many hyphens. Oh. And welcome everybody to. You're not actually streaming. Oh no, I had YouTube noise going. I oh, no. didn't mute, so I was doubled for just a moment. Let me let me start over. Uh, welcome everybody to another episode of Workflow Wednesday. We're joined today by uh, multi hyphenate director, photographer role model, Adobe Master Trainer, Aperture, uh, Resident Pro, Valentina V. Welcome, welcome. Thank you very much. Um, and just in case anybody doesn't already know, go ahead and introduce yourself. Give a little bit about who you are and what you do and all that good jazz. Uh, thanks, Houston. So I'm Valentina. I do everything and I don't like to put myself into a box. Sometimes that gets me in trouble, but I'm just going to keep saying it. I'm a director, cinematographer, editor. Um, I also do consulting for companies and brands on like best case digital strategies for their campaigns. And I've been freelance doing this for about four years now. Before that, I was the content director at Aperture, which is a lighting uh, manufacturing company. And before that, I was working as a cinematographer and editor for a big YouTube channel that had over 9 million subscribers. And before that, I was in the film industry. I worked in features, um, both indie features and studio features at Paramount Pictures. And then before that, I was in college and I studied at UCLA. Wow. <laughs> Wow. What a that what a yeah, what a pedigree. That's great. Um well thank you for, for joining us. We're also joined by our resident uh uh I suppose hardware expert in the video editing uh since Matt Bach. Um thank you guys for taking the time out of the day to join us. Um I'm I'm actually really excited because um just previously, I mean before the stream and, and a few little emails back and forth, um I'm really excited to hear kind of what you have to say about um I mean, just the the video space in general. I think um, one of the things that you and I mentioned, or you had mentioned to me previously, was um, things like TikTok and the social media space, and how video and photography editing is kind of changing. I'm curious to know a little bit more about your thoughts on that. Well. Uh, I don't know if you've encountered this, but a lot of photographers, videographers, creators, they'll make something and they'll post it up on social and nobody really cares what they made or posted. It could be the most beautiful looking photo and crickets but then they sure. post a behind the scenes video of how they made that thing and all of a sudden they're a genius right. and all of these behind the scenes videos get millions and millions of views and start popping off so i would say that if you are a working professional in this space and you want to get more eyeballs on your work um, it's smart to start doing behind the scenes videos. I only recently started doing behind the scenes for my own work mm -hmm. before I was doing a lot of behind the scenes for an epic photographer named Benjamin Von Wong. He does these like crazy, elaborate, um, surrealist masterpieces all in camera. Wow. So it's really important for him to have a behind the scenes videographer capture it all so that people could actually see that this isn't Photoshop. This is all in camera. Wow. Stuff suspended by fishing wire and like subjects that are just balancing on the edge of like a tiny little seat or hanging off the side of a skyscraper, stuff like that. Whoa. So when I was working with him, I mean, I still work with him from time to time as well. I saw the real importance of 
a behind the scenes video and he would even say that the behind the scenes video is more important than the work because the the behind the scenes video is the thing that gets shared and then eyes go on the work and whatever the work is it's always a for him it was always some sort of campaign so whether it's a campaign with greenpeace to raise awareness for how the plastic in our plastic bottles is polluting polluting our oceans or it's a campaign to raise awareness for how climate change is affecting indigenous populations on islands it was all like for a cause that's why it needed that bts so i would say if you are a creative bts is huge and it's so popular now especially with tiktok yeah. Why do you why do you think BTS is such a big deal? I mean, I, I have my own thoughts, but I'm really curious about you. It's like my thought is that's because um, that creating things, you know, whether it's Photoshop or video or whatever, it's becoming more like approachable to people. Like, heck, my nephew is like editing videos in DaVinci Resolve, and he's. Oh, I, I don't, I'm going to say the wrong age. I'm going to say he's like 15, 14 or 15. Uh, and that seems to be becoming more and more popular. Do you think it's that kind of a thing? Like people are actually realizing they can do these things? Yeah, I think it's definitely a lot about the democrat democratization of tools and how everyone now has a professional video camera in their pocket and professional editing suite in their pocket. And they're just looking for ways to learn and ways to create. So while Gen Z may not be going on YouTube and looking for YouTube tutorials from Philip Bloom about, you know, the the specifics of the A7S III, they'll watch a TikTok where you explain that, oh, I did like this movement with my phone and transitioned it to another movement like this. And that's what caused this transition. Though They love seeing that because they can imitate it. Um, I would say the other half of the behind the scenes video thing is when you do see a final photo or a final work, you never understand fully what went into that. Right. If there were any sort of cheats with the lighting, like something that I do a lot, I'm very lighting focused and lighting heavy. So I'll do a lot of lighting cheats, lighting gags, things that you may not even think about that I did or the way I edit things, I will take special care on certain sections of the image that you may not even realize that I touched because either I, um, I'll, I'll clone it out or I'll heal it out or I will recede it into the background or I'll do some sort of fancy masking. And the final image looks so good, but it took so long to get to that final image that the process truly is fascinating. So if someone, they may not be like an After Effects guru, but if you show them that this technique is called masking and mm-hmm. here's how you use it, perhaps they'll go look up masking later. Yeah, right. I guess that's, that's kind of why things like, I mean, not exactly, but kind of like like blooper reels are always so popular or Easter egg, you know, things people were looking into like in the Marvel films or whatever. Absolutely. Those kind of videos are always super popular too. It's because people get to kind of see a peek at all these other little things that they didn't even realize were there until they get like shown them. Well, you extrapolate that to celebrity culture as well. If you think about it, all celebrity culture is, is just a one big BTS. True, you want right. to know about who the person is that was behind that role, yeah. what, what their yeah. personal life is, what it took to get to that role. So it makes sense. It makes sense because people, people love celebrities and buy magazines about them and read stories mm-hmm. about them way more than they care about the character motivation that they used in that particular movie or what what have right. you. I feel like it's it's kind of a a progression from the reality TV kind mm-hmm. of thing where it's not um 
and and I think a, a facet of it too is that it's a little bit more it's a lot it's a little bit more real. Um, I feel I was I was talking with my my youngest. Um, she she got really upset recently that she when she found out that a lot of like the TikTok videos she watches are fake, mm-hmm. and and I I, I kind of wanted to dig deeper into that. It's like, well, what, what do you mean fake? And she's like, oh well, there's it's like transitions and like these effects and things like that, and it's it's not as real as I thought it was. And so I started following more of the TikTok tutorials and things like that to learn how it's done. And I think that's I feel like that's part of why some of that behind the scenes is is more popular. You get to see less of the polished finished product which is still cool but more like wow that's how they did that i can do that too it kind of puts it a little bit more into the realm of possibility for people which is really neat yeah absolutely i think that's very i'm i'm super stoked i think i like the how you mentioned the democratization of the tools um you don't have to you're not at the at the whim of some old person or like a group of people some committee that tells you oh you're not you know our focus groups say that you're not good enough and all this um i think i think if it's just super cool to see that you know some people in three weeks have four million followers on on tiktok or because of genuinely interesting and and creative content and it's in and i i get super jazzed that people can create whatever they're most interested about and and find a a community which it warms my heart and if you think about it all these kids are learning video editing because tiktok is a video editor as well so they're learning about what a timeline is what cuts are these are the kind of things like a a a seven-year-old can now put a few clips together change the speed of a clip export that easily right whereas we have boomers who are just like struggling to import something onto their iphone so it's gonna be i mean mark my words it's gonna be a boom in filmmaking in just a few years when Mm -hmm. all these kids get enough money save up enough to get like some nice gear and like a professional editing program it's gonna be insane oh oh for sure i i remember like the early days of um machinima when people Mm -hmm. would get into like the early game engines and make goofy like red versus blue way back in the day yes 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 i feel like we're right on the cusp of something very similar where there's and and where it's it's not just dance challenges and things like that there's all kinds of crazy mind-blowing creativity coming out of of such simple tools i love it well, the, the entire, like, everything. Like, how long ago was Twitch, like, this tiny little thing that, like, no one was on? And even, like, YouTube. Like, yeah, there's a lot of content on YouTube, but, like, it wasn't taken seriously. And now you've got these giant channels. they got, like, they're, they're selling commercial space basically on their channel because they're making more money by selling time on their channel than by monetizing their videos. Yeah. And, like, it, that's just becoming crazy. And anyone can upload anything onto YouTube. And they're becoming teams and businesses. I worked for a YouTube channel for several years. There were four full-time employees of that YouTube channel. Plus we had interns as well. We were making videos every single week. It was like a full production process, pre-pro, production, post, graphics, color, everything like a mini studio and that's popping up everywhere and not just on YouTube. It's also popping up um, 
in-house with a lot of companies. Companies are no longer hiring agencies to make their commercials or media for them. They will just create an in-house video department, just like a lot of them now have in-house graphics departments, an in-house photographer. If you can do graphics, photography, and video, you are like three steps ahead. But yeah, in I, I worked at that kind of place too. At the very beginning of my career, I worked for a baseball bat company, Easton Sports, okay. that had an in-house video department. I mean, I don't know anything <laughs> about sports, but I'll tell you more about Easton baseball bats than anyone else in the world who doesn't work for Easton. And I was making videos of like, you know, what the core of a baseball bat is based on versus this type of core and like how the bat control works with and like what the little, how the ball travels over an extended period of time and all of that and um that was in-house that was actually in the eastern office so these things are popping up everywhere video creators are going to have so much work yeah because all that kind of stuff like it's because you don't have to like it it, like in tv like when you're going to make a commercial for tv it had to go out to you know tons of people and you had to get enough viewers for that and now with like the internet and, and all these different ways that you can you know con you know connect with people you don't have to connect with 50 percent of the yeah. youtube audience you can have this tiny little fraction and it's way more than en- enough for uh, all these different companies like like yeah those baseball bats that does not have to go to 90 percent of youtube it just has right. to go to the people who care about it and that can still be thousands and thousands and thousands of people yeah And you can still totally make a living editing those videos and totally be fine. So when people discourage um, others from joining the the media world or from studying media or from becoming an artist, I say that's that's silly because the the video editor is going to become the new word processor. They're going to be teaching kids video editing in elementary school. Yeah. Yeah, We're even kind of seeing that in, in our stuff. We're like, we do written articles for all of our things, but now we're starting to get more and more into video because I mean, it's kind of mixed right now. Like a lot of our people, we've done like polls and they like the written content, but then other people say, oh, I only want video content or I only want podcasts. And so, yeah, it's just like the different ways that people are ingesting all this kind of content is just kind of changing. I think it's just going to go more and more towards video as we go Mm -hmm. on. Yeah, absolutely. Sneak. I wonder um, in the in the past. So we've we've kind of touched on how it's a lot easier now for just about anybody to kind of do create and be successful. In your experience in the past, um, how 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 hard was that? I imagine um, as a woman in particular, but also just early on, um, there was a lot of gatekeeping, and there still kind of is, but it's lessened so. So I'm I'm, I'm interested to hear kind of how that has progressed. Yeah, I think there's still a lot of gatekeeping if you want to get into like the higher echelons of media, like on TV or film. Um, But that's kind of why I gravitate so much towards digital content, not only because it's so freeing, but because the pacing is so fast because you don't have those gatekeepers. So you don't have to spend all this time making a film and then waiting on the marketing department to make their materials and then waiting on the studio to set a release date and get all their ducks in a row and that could take months to years and then finally get into a theater and then maybe you get a few tweets that are talking (laughs) about your movie but that's all the feedback you get you know and when you post something online you get immediate feedback and you can immediately make the next thing 
better Mm -hmm. or change your plan or communicate with your audience. For me personally, when I was starting out, it was incredibly hard. Like I said, I worked at a baseball bat company. I hate baseball. I've never seen a single, (laughs) well, not, not that I hate it, but I've never seen a single baseball game on TV or in person. I've never seen a single sports event in person. So it was just like, what is available? And um, there's a lot of, I, I don't know if this is because I'm a female, perhaps it is, but there's a lot of like, nobody believes in your skills or talents and they just discount you and they give you mm. lower roles than what you are able to do and what you're capable of doing. Um, it's gotten better, I would certainly say, just because of the recent like diversity pushes. Sure. Like the Me Too movement has definitely elevated um, that discussion. But yeah, before it was like, I I mean, I've been passed down for jobs. Like men have gotten the job instead of me, men that I knew that I knew were worse than me at yeah. whatever that job was, simply because they were men. And at least I think so, because right. there was nothing else to my mind or knowledge that differentiated us besides my increase of skills and their lower skills. But it's also because a lot of media has and always was a boys club from the start, right? From sure. when Einstein, uh, sorry, not Einstein, um, Edison uh, created the movie camera back on the East Coast. And then the... Um, the Lumiere brothers took that technology and then moved it to the West Coast to get away from Edison's patents and right. started up Hollywood to all of the men that started Hollywood back in the golden age to now a lot of the crews, like everyone from the grips to the ACs to the electrics, to the best boys, everyone being male. Nobody wanted to take orders from a female. Everyone going to have beers after the shoot at the bar, doing their little, you know, huddle groups as men. It's so hard to break through as a female and to be like, no. I'm the boss, like I'm in charge, I have the skills, I have the knowledge. And on top of all of that, it's also um, how you look, how you present yourself. If you are someone like me who loves fashion, who loves to look nice, you know, if you look nice on set, people are gonna be like, what's wrong with you? You're like, well, I just wanna look nice because that's just me, right? But no, no, you have to look like rolled off a tractor in order for people to take you seriously. I've had times where I've been on set and people have been like, you can't paint your nails tomorrow. You have to take your nail polish off. You know? What? what? Yes. Well, what? Like, uh, that's funny. Like you're saying the appearance makes such a victim. So Mitch, I, I can get, I, I, I don't understand, but I, 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 I know that that's a thing, but like, I look at you and like your background and you and like, if I'm hiring someone to be creative, <laughs> I would want someone who looks like they're very creative <laughs> and artistic. Yeah. yeah. And so like, I, I don't, I guess I just, I'm not in that industry. So I, I guess I just don't understand how yeah, I could even feel I've that I've been way. told to not wear makeup, to take my nail polish off, to, to basically lower myself in order to make the men on set feel more comfortable with me Weird. as their, you know, as their leader. Um, wow. And the way that you go about that is just being, unfortunately, we as women have to be 200 times more competent because 
any mistake that we make, any slip up we make, that is our entire gender that's in jeopardy. Then, then people mm. are like, oh, well, women don't know how to do that. Right. So I have to be extra prepared. I have to make more storyboards. I have to make better scheduling. I have to double check that nothing will go wrong on the day of the shoot that I know absolutely every process that there is to know that I'm not like phoning anything in that everything's perfect. Just so that no one calls me out for incompetency based on my gender. (laughs) It's rough. It's rough out here. I'm telling you. Are there, are there, um, I suppose groups and resources of, of, I know, I don't know, like a female-run studio or or things like that to to kind of help in and push that sort of not agenda, but just to kind of change change the those like systemic failures. Yeah, there is um, a really good movement by Elena Rossini. It's mm-hmm. hashtag This is what a filmmaker looks like, and she's been like instrumental in making little uh, gifts, making little. Um, kind of image macros showing women in different fields and and showing other women that like this is possible this is something that's visible i think more than having female organizations because there are female organizations to promote women in film like gina davis's institute on media studies or the women in film institute there's a lot but more than that it's not about women promoting women. It's about everyone promoting women. Sure. You know, it's about, and it's about women who are in the industry being visible and vocal. Um, I know because this is something that I've struggled with in the past is I just want to be an artist. I just want to do my art, not talk about it. Cause I don't care about being in front of the camera. I just want to do my art exist and be happy with it. And then over the years, this happened around 2016, I would say people started telling me that, Oh, I'm a good role model for other women. Other women should be seeing what I'm doing because there aren't a lot of visible women in the industry. And at the time I was like, nah, like there must be someone better than me to be a role model. Like, come on. Like I know so many wonderful, wonderful women, Reed Morano, Rachel Morrison, like so many professionals. Cause I didn't really consider myself a professional. I mean, there's so many professionals out there who could do it instead of me. Like why me? I, let me just do my thing. And then through the years, people have just been like, no, you should be, a, you should, you should do things. You should do media. You should do interviews because at the very least there will be a female face that people can associate. And these days I get a lot of messages from women. I just got one the other day that was like, you're the first woman I've ever seen as a director, being a director. And I thought that you didn't exist. And could you, like, I thought women, directors didn't exist and you're the first one. And could you give me some advice because I'm going to film school and everything sucks and nobody believes in me. And it's those kind of messages that you kind of, you got to like break down crying into a little ball. Cause you're like, I can't believe that I'm the first female filmmaker this person has ever seen. Yeah, wow. Huh. Wow. And all of that media must've been for good. Somehow right. she found me, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, yeah. that's sweet though. That's, that's really cool. That, and oh man, it's got to give you kind of some goosebumps to know that like you're, you're affecting people out there like that. Just, just by being you. How cool. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's fuels me to do more, you know, to be better and to get to like higher and higher levels of professionalism so that people could yeah, point to me and say, 
oh, she's doing it. Why can't I? Yeah, because yeah, because you do so much. Like I see, even saw on your your Twitter, like you did a, a music video. Was it just last week or something? I did over the weekend. I did a music video. I'm so excited. I finished the edit already. I just need to do wow. color and graphics. Oh, that's it's so gonna cool. be so good. I'm just so excited. It's um. It's kind of like a comedic music video for an artist that is both a rapper and a comic. Oh, cool. So it's going to be really cool. I'm excited to release it. Oh, Yo, I'm actually super, so I, I I wanted to bring this up because I'm super curious about like music videos. So we, we were very fortunate a couple of years ago. We, get, we got to go on set for our short film and like just kind of see how it all goes. Um, but music videos, I was I'm just curious, like how... How different is that compared to like doing a short film or a normal film or a commercial? Like, you mean workflow wise or? Well, like kind of, kind of everything, but yeah, like workflow wise, do you, do you do the same like storyboarding of everything or is it a little bit more uh, free flowing just because you have a lot more creative people involved? I think it depends on the director. For me, it's because I have that background in film. I'm it's very film like where I do have okay. storyboards. Sometimes, you know, my storyboards show that we're going to cut in between all of these setups. Like they'll be intercut, but I still need to have a wide and a close up and a reverse. Mm-hmm. And I for this particular music video, oh, there's also music videos that I would say are done in the edit where it's a bunch of performance takes. You do the performance takes throughout the entire song, and then you kind of build it in the edit, whether you're holding one of the um, one of the setups until the mid-song to, to reveal it or something like that. But there's also storyline music videos. So the particular one that I just did, the artist really did want a story in it. So I had to okay. come up with a way to have a consistent story throughout while also integrating performance takes, which is why I I really did need a storyboard. It was also an incredibly fast turnaround from the time that he approved the creative to the time that we started shooting was about 12 hours. So I had to make a storyboard and a shot breakdown and a, a, a um, shot list in that amount of time. Wow. I wasn't sleeping much, (laughs) but it, it was also because just a lot of things, a lot of things kind of happened for that timing to happen. Mm. We were doing two music videos in a row. So the previous one, I was the, um, I was one of the directors of photography. So we tag teamed uh, shooting it. It was a different director. And then the next one, the week later I was directing. So my mind was on both at the same time. So it was, it was a little bit of a, of a tussle there, but I'm super excited for both of them to come out. I think, I think they look so good. Um, and yeah, I'm just like, I'm just like chuffed. This was something that I, <laughs> this was something that I worked, I worked on so hard. Cause when I, when the artist came to the, this producer that I knew, um, I had worked as a director of photography exclusively for this producer before. So she contacted us as directors of photography to co-DP again. And when I heard one of the songs, I was like, can I please direct it? Can I please direct it? I have ideas. And I started pitching and I started just like going on and on and on. And she's like, okay, you can direct it. I'm like, great. Yes, I love that. Oh, I'm super excited to see those. Yeah. I'm assuming once they, they go up, you'll be posting them on your Twitter and everything. Yeah, I'll post them everywhere. And oh, I'll post cool. some okay. what's I'll post some behind the scenes like before and okay. after of the lightings, and I'll post some of my storyboards, which are like pure trash, like stick figures <laughs> to like what the actual um shot ended up looking like. So yeah. Hey. 
Oh, cool. Um, so just to interject real quick, we did get a question from YouTube. Uh, Payush says, hey, uh, Valentina, do you have any advice for cinematographers that are just starting out? Oh, so much advice. Number one, um, there's so many great resources out there. If you want to learn about lighting, there's the Aperture YouTube channel, 4-Minute Film School. Very easy, it's broken down with um, with shot diagrams, with like one light turning on at a time. I would say lighting is like the number one thing for cinematographers to learn because you can be shooting on an iPhone, but if you have if you have great lighting, no one's going to care. And then Indie Mogul is another really great channel on YouTube where they do these interviews with professionals who are currently working in the industry. So for example, they had the cinematographer from Marvelous Mrs. Maisel come and describe how he shot all of the ridiculous one takes in that um, in that uh, show. You know, for me, up, it was DVD extras that I watched to kind of glean all of that information. Even though the DVD extras, they weren't like about cinematography, you could still kind of look at look at it and kind of like try to tell what was happening. But nowadays, there's all these beautiful YouTube channels. Um, Armando Ferreria is also another great one that takes you behind, uh, I think, Ferreira. Hold on. Armando Ferreria. No, I was right. Ferreira. Ferreira is another one that takes you behind the scenes on his shoots and will show you exactly how he shot something. So I would say learn as much as you can and then practice as much as you can as well. Doesn't matter if it's with your phone, you can still make great stuff with your phone, but there's a lot of things that you're gonna learn through trial and error. So you better start making the errors as soon as possible because you're gonna make them. So one thing I'm curious, I I brought this up on a few other streams that we've done is it seems like right now there's a lot more people doing like editing contests or like they'll put up footage and have you do like edit, you know, having contests around those. I haven't seen that. Can you You explain that? No. Oh, yeah. I I mean, I don't even know any specific one. I can't know that I can name off the head top of my head, but I know like, yeah, they'll put up like here's some footage, um, you know, do some sort of editing and we'll pick the best one and they get whatever this prize is. So is that like led by companies? Yeah, I think a lot of them are like, it'll be sponsored by, oh, I don't know. I'm just gonna make something up. I'm just Logitech, whatever. They're gonna sponsor this thing. And Mm -hmm. then so they they put up some footage and then like, it's basically, I think it's just a way for them to like crowdsource like making like ads. (laughs) Cause then they can take whatever the top one is and like it's built into the, you know, fine print that they can reuse anything that's submitted. Uh, but then the other person who you know did it, you know, I feel like it's a great way to get like you know footage and have like a rough idea. Because I, for myself, I always have a hard time like coming up with an idea uh, for myself, mm. like when I need to practice something. So like having something that's like, here's an idea, here's some source media, go. At least it gives me a direction. Yeah, I would say if you can win some money at it, why not, right? If you can like enter a contest, but having any sort of practice is great. Mm-hmm. I still do it. Like even just this week, I downloaded the new Dune trailer and I recut it to Darude Sandstorm. That was great. And I, <laughs> just, just as some practice, I'm like, how do I recut this trailer and make it better um, by taking out 
anything that isn't Timothy Chalamet. And, uh, you know, I still do it for fun. So that's a good way to practice too, is just like download a video that already exists and, and re-edit and recut it. Or you can, there's a lot of ads that are actually still in log for some reason. And some music videos that they, they post fully uncolored and ungraded. So that's something that you can also download and practice your color grading on. I don't understand why people post things. Is it supposed to be like, like cinematic? Or so something? the running, <laughs> the running theory with um, me and my friends on Twitter is that the producer was on site and they were handed a monitor that didn't have a LUT on it. So they saw the flat image the entire day. And then when they were handed the first draft, they were like, oh, this doesn't look like what I saw. Can we go Can we go back to what I saw on the day? Like producers fall in love with the log look and that's huh. what they want. That's the running theory is that, because I don't really know any, any professional cinematographers or editors or colorists that would purposefully release um, something that isn't colored. Yeah, that just seems weird. Oh, there we go. Okay, we were, sorry, I had some issues on Twitch for just a moment. Um, are you but, simulcasting to Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch? Yes. Okay. Well, we're going to need to talk about that later because I want to learn how. But okay. oh, sure. Okay. Um, it, it's pretty pretty straightforward. I just use Restream IO. Um, okay. And it's um, and then punch it in the right their stream key into OBS, and it'll and then they take it and spread it around. But, oh, okay. So I'm going to write that down because that's <laughs> what I'm trying to do with my Tuesday lessons is do the Restream. Um, but the Wirecast, which is what I use to stream, it allows you to restream, but only if you sign up for their subscription service. I'm like, mm. yeah, I don't know. I don't know yeah. if that's my vibe. So I think as long as you don't want to try to fa stream to a Facebook group, um, they allow a certain, I think, I think three, three channels for free. There may be, I don't notice a watermark, um, there might be a little something like that, but um, yeah. Okay, cool. well, I'll look into it. Thank you. Yeah, I don't uh, see anything on YouTube, at least, as far mm -hmm. as watermark. So, uh, oh, here's another, we have another question from YouTube from DSD Tape. Uh, your thoughts on creating for stock footage. Uh, like for me, I have licensed footage from folks finding it on my YouTube channel. I make vids that are very specific. Um, my thoughts about creating stock footage is, if you're creating stock footage, make it as diverse as possible because that's what people are searching right now. If you look up man with computer, it's all white men. If you look up anything with anything, it's all white people. Like all of stock is just white people. So if you can have stock that features diversity, whether it's in age, um, race, different abilities. So if you have, you know, either disabled people or actors that are in wheelchairs, you know, or act different, like um, different types of clothing, like people are looking for diversity in their stock. And if you are only putting out stock that is white, then uh, there's a lot of that already. Hmm. Cool. That's, That's actually, yeah, great advice. Cause uh, that's definitely something I've noticed. Like I'll go to some sites and it's like, it's obviously some photography and yeah, there's like almost, you can tell there's a very conscious, it's, it's almost in your face how like, okay, this picture is of, you know, this and then different and then different and then different. But yeah, that's very popular right now. And I mean, it's, it should be like diversity is good. Yes. But 
for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I would definitely recommend um, getting doing diverse stock and doing stock that isn't stocky. You know what I mean? Like people just against a white background is cool, but just try to do some other stuff because that's what people are looking for. They're looking for cinematic stock. They're looking mm -hmm. for stock and also at the highest possible um, resolution and frame rates that you can. So if you mm -hmm. can do 4K60, do 4K60. So you give people the ability to not only reframe, but also to change the speed if they need to. So yeah, definitely shoot maybe a little bit wider so that people can reframe. Hmm. That's, that's I wouldn't have thought of that. That's good thinking. Yeah. Huh. Uh, let's see. We have another another one from YouTube. I'm very excited that we're getting some some good questions in. Um, Ari Prabowo asks, "Hey Valentina, I'm a pleb when it comes to visual arts, but I'm curious as to how much directors, editors, and cinematographers get hands on with the hardware they use." It really depends on who you are. I've worked with, as a cinematographer, I've worked with some directors that do not know what an 85 millimeter versus a 35 millimeter lens is. And they just, they just want, they're just like, this is what the, sh what the, what the scene is. And you have to come up with your own shots. I hate that. I would rather gnaw off my own leg than have to, because at the, at that point you become the director as the sure. cinematographer at that point you're directing what the shot looks like where everyone's standing what everyone's doing you're talking directly to talent i do not prefer doing that i as a director i feel it's super important for me to know as much as possible about every aspect and to be able to communicate with my team on their level so where i'm like hey ed can you give me 50 fps on an 85 he's like yeah can you do an underslung he's like yeah um, you know, communicate with my gaffer. I'm like, can you put a gobo in there and take the, and, and focus the, the spotlight beam halfway through the room? He's like, yeah. Can you put some C half CTO and a grid on that, on that box? Yeah. Like you have to speak to them in their own language and you have to know the hardware because that's going to save you a million hours in your day if you don't have to be like yeah can i get it like soft but like toppy like if you could just say it what you exactly what you want it's smooth so for example the music video that we just did that i directed the smoothest because i hired people who are on the, my same wavelength who i've worked with before who i could just tell specific hardware and software hardware terms to and they could just they could just run with it so it's, it's shocking to hear that, especially from a director, that they wouldn't know a little bit more about how the hardware works so that you can have that. No, that well, a lot of you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. I'm not going to name names, but there are a few big time directors. I'm talking about major three figure million movies wow. that do not know anything about hardware. Do you, do you get do you get some some directors who are or I don't know who would be making this kind of call like we need to shoot 8k and when it, like it's not going anywhere um I sometimes have to point directors in the right direction <laughs> no pun intended but for example I recently had a thing where we were doing a product commercial and the director wanted to shoot in slow motion and it was a product that does not have any motion in it. You know, I understand shooting slow motion if you're pouring something into a glass or if you're throwing something up, but this was 
a product that is immobile. So the motion that we had for it is we put it on a lazy Susan, you know, that turns a motorized lazy Susan. So the director's like, how about we shoot in slow motion? I'm like, how about we just slow down the lazy Susan? It has different speed options. (laughs) (laughs) And that way, because when you shoot in slow motion, right, you have to up your frame rate, which means you have to Mm -hmm. compromise on your shutter speed, which means you need more lighting and you have a little bit more noise as a result, depending on how much lighting you're using, especially if you're using lenses like the Lawa probe lens, which only comes down to F14. So you need a lot of lighting for that. It's like, why would you shoot in slow motion when you don't have to? And not shooting in slow motion sometimes, depending on the camera, will give you a higher resolution, which is great. So sometimes I have to like direct a director with that because sometimes their ideas just don't specifically line up to what they can, what they can get the most out of mm-hmm. with with whatever camera that you're shooting in hmm. yeah that's that's kind of goofy I mean, I mean i feel like though we, i mean we kind of in, encounter a similar sort of thing in our in our space too is where like people will want to do they'll they'll come to us and say oh i want this top end thing and it's like well that doesn't really make sense you know you, sh- you could totally spend less and still do the same thing and oh this. yeah and the spending <laughs> less too like with producers sometimes i had this one video that i was directing and uh i had worked with the producer like two times before and both times we had hired a separate cinematographer because the video concepts were incredibly difficult and i can't split my brain with something that's difficult to be the cinematographer and director mm-hmm. but then on this particular video it was all green screen so and it was all matching existing photos um so the only thing was matching lighting the camera was steady like the camera was just on sticks on a lit green screen and she was like let's get our cinematographer let's get this going i'm like you know we could save a lot of money by not hiring a cinematographer because it's just a camera on a tripod which i could set up and we can skip that and put that money somewhere else hey So and that's the thing is that, yeah, there's you. I mean, at least when we're dealing with things, there's a budget. Right. And when you can take the money from here and put it over here and get way better result, like what, why, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. And I'm, I've learned over the years to be more active with being a part of the budget because mm. even for something like you give a budget to your production designer. And then if you don't check what they're spending the budget on. Like I had one time where we just needed an ugly couch. So the production designer (laughs) decided to rent an ugly couch for $300 for a day from a rental house when they they could have just picked it up off any curb. Any yeah. herb for free. And so $300 of the production budget went to that couch rental, which I didn't realize until we were on set. And I'm like, oh, that's a cool couch. Where'd you get it? And they're like, well, we rented it off her. I'm like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. So it, yeah, I've, I've learned to be a little bit more hands-on with budgeting, just, just checking things, just making sure that nothing is extraneous. And especially someone like me who can do a lot of things that we don't need to spend budget on something that I'm able to do. So on the top of budget, what is one thing that you would say you don't skimp on ever? Lunch. Ah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, heck yeah, I, I get it because like hungry people are de-energized, they're angry, they're like you got to keep people happy, right? Absolutely, you can't just I've I've because I've been in those situations. Like I've been on a shoot where the lunch was 
oh, we got some bread and cheese slices and some bologna, but you have to make it yourself. Here you go. And like just on a table and you have to go like make yourself a sad sandwich. <laughs> and I was just like, that is not cool. So I try to, if not like provide lunch, like on bigger productions, we'll have catering. We'll provide like a really good lunch. I won't skip on it. On smaller productions, we'll go have a lunch hour like at a restaurant or something and I'll pay for everyone what they want so yeah lunch is the number one most important thing to not skimp on <laughs> that's great uh, um so uh you've you've mentioned that all these different positions that you've done and all and how it relates to i mean the budget and and also kind of how that experience allows you to guide maybe people in other positions how important is it so like um because i've i've heard sometimes in some industries it's really it's a good idea to hyper focus and and be niche but it seems to have helped you quite a lot to be able to wear a lot of different hats or fill in these these blank spaces mm -hmm. in a role so i have always thought that because that's what i've always been told i've always been told that i needed to specialize as a director or cinematographer that I'll never get anywhere. I went to school at UCLA for design, but I got a minor in film. So I took some directing classes and that was always the case. But then I look at the people that I love the most and admire the most in the world. Mm -hmm. Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is a writer, actor, producer, director, like he does everything. Guillermo del Toro, who mm -hmm. apart from being an amazing director and um, just like a presence and a force in the world is also an incredible artist and draws oh, yeah. the most intricate storyboards you could ever do. Bong Joon-ho, Alfonso Cuaron, who not only directed Roma, but shot it. Reed Murano, Taika Waititi, who is, talk about an actor, director, producer, multi-hyphenate. Right. I've, I've been on set with my favorite director, Joseph Kahn, and I've seen him literally like take the movie out of the movie operator's hands and operate it himself. Like... After seeing all those people, all of my doubts were quelled. And I was like, if those people can do it, I can do it. And then I read an amazing book called Range, Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. And it's by David Epstein. Ooh. And it gives you a lot of great examples of people who used their diverse experiences to funnel into being and being a force in their industry or excelling in their industry because of the fact that they had so much experience from other places it's people who you know were on second careers and used the knowledge from their previous career to elevate their status like the did you know that the woman who runs the girl scouts she didn't start running them until she was like 50 something years old because her whole life she was working in an office and then she wanted to volunteer for a girl scout for a local girl scout troop and then kept getting promoted because she was so good like wow. there's all of these amazing stories in in the book range and i read it and it was like a giant affirmation and a giant hug kind of it's like you're okay everything you're doing is fine you don't need to specialize even when people tell you that you do and the only time i ever run into problems is when people are trying to have me on their podcasts and they don't know what to call me <laughs> <laughs> no that's uh, that's that's got to be a little difficult though because like how how do you give somebody so like say you said, um, you know, you have a lot of cinematography experience, but how do you get somebody to trust that you know what you're doing with editing? 
Yeah, well, it depends. Sometimes I want to edit the video that I'm making. Sometimes I don't. Like for my travel show, mm -hmm. I did the entire first season. I directed, shot, and edited it. But for the second season, I'm like, you know, I don't want to do editing, so let me hand it off to an editor. Um, I don't do everything for every project. Sometimes I will mm -hmm. just DP. I have a shoot coming up for Apple next week, and I'm just DPing that, and I'm walking away. Um, I did a shoot for OWC a few weeks ago from my bedroom, and for that one, I also just walked away. I didn't direct it. I'm not editing it. So the good thing about having all the skills is that you don't have to use them all the time. You can cherry pick what you want to do for each project. But the one thing I will no longer do is I will no longer edit something exclusively. So I will no longer oh. just be an editor because that put me into a lot of problems in the past. Oh. So I will only edit something if I direct it as well. And that's a good way for me to get directing jobs because a lot of times people are interested in me as an editor. I've been editing since I was seven years old. Um, wow. Yeah, I started editing when I was seven. So, and I went through every single program like Windows Movie Maker, Corel Video Studio Pro, and then into Final Cut, and then into Premiere, and then back to Final Cut, and then back to Premiere. And so, as someone who's been editing for over 20 years now, I'm very in demand as an editor, but these days I'm just like, oh, you want me to edit your project? I have to direct it too, FYI. Cause yeah, I've run into a lot of problems being just just an editor and yeah. What, I, I mean, I'm, I'm curious what sort of issues come up in that? Well, I do not enjoy not being able to, to set like goals. Here's an example. I did a series of online videos for a magazine that was making a documentary about women's empowerment. And I thought, you know, when they reach out to me as an editor to basically take footage from the, from the feature documentary and cut them down into YouTube videos, mm -hmm. I was all for it because I was like, oh, like, great. Like more people will see it because it's on YouTube. All of these messages are great. I, they gave me like a full a full binder full of the transcriptions from the interviews. I read all the interviews from 60 plus people being interviewed. Wow. I highlighted them. I I signaled out 10 different topics. I'm like, oh, we, we can make episodes by topic. So we'll have mm -hmm. this topic and this topic because certain topics come up in every interview that we can make. Uh, we, we can make a compilation and like the 10, in, the 10 videos could be each topic and like different speakers are speaking on the same topic because all of the interviews were shot single camera 4k no b-roll so it was just a person talking to a camera that's it no b-roll i couldn't use any of the other b-roll for the film because they just prevented me from using it so the only stuff that i had to work with was single camera oh. straight to camera interviews Rough. and I was like, well, this is a way that we could spice it up, right? I can intercut between different people. I can punch into the 4K image. I can spice it up. And then they were like, no, we just want you to make one video for each person. So we'll pick 10 people for you. And you just <laughs> cut cut down their 60 minute interview into 10 minutes. And in my mind, like I'm struggling so hard because I'm like, no one's going to watch this. Like no one's going to care. It's going to be so boring. Yeah. And now I've, I've, I've locked myself into a 10 week contract with these people and nothing I make is going to get seen. Nothing I make is going to make a difference. And the editing is the most boring editing I've ever seen in my life. It's just like a, a single take that I have to oh. make a 10 minute video out of. And guess what? Those videos got a hundred views. If at that, 
Yeah. And no one saw them because of that. So after that experience, I was like, I'm no longer taking just editing jobs. If I can't have a say in what I, in what's happening, then I don't want it. Yeah, that's that sounds terrible. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. So now when I work with editors, I'm very aware of that. So when <laughs> sure. I have an editor that I'm working with, I give them a lot of power and I'm always just like, whatever you want, like, show me what you want. Tell me what you want. What do you think? I'm always like putting the power in their hands. So, um, so obviously there's certain specific things. Like I did a series for Kentucky Tourism Board and mm-hmm. they needed certain things in a certain order. So I gave the the editors the paper edits of exactly like what the order of the segments is, what the voiceover on each segment has to be because certain words have to be included, yada, yada, yada. But other than that, it's, it's a walk away. I directed a show for Discovery a few years ago and for that one, that was all editor. Like I, sh- I directed it, I DP'd it, and then I just gave it to the editor. Cause at that point it was like, this is going to be on discovery at eight o'clock every Wednesday morning. Yeah. No one's going to watch it. Why am I going to waste my energy <laughs> directing the edit when I can be doing other things that people are actually going to watch? Why am I going to sit over the shoulder of the editor telling her exactly what should be what the shot next shot should be so i that was a walk away i literally handed it over to the editor and i'm like just make sure the commercial breaks are at this this and this and this time go (laughs) that's wow that's that's really cool i like uh, it's got to make everybody's job a lot easier when you have that kind of experience in in it all that's yes and that's why i love having that experience is because i can relate that's cool that's yeah, man. I've I've just thought about times where people who haven't done my job have tried to tell me how to do my job. I never <laughs> do that on Slack. <laughs> never tell you to. Do- <laughs> uh, and not not here at all, but uh, it's just in the past. I'm like, man, you've never been in my shoes. You can't you can't tell me what I'm doing. Get out of here. Uh, but um, so hang on, there was um another question oh about your latest reel actually which super super cool um there um hang on where did it go i just lost it again um jeremy acri on twitter actually on periscope he's asking can you tell us how you came up with the idea of footage for your latest reel and i'd I'd like to kind of expand on that question myself and kind of give us an idea of how one why why did you why did you feel the need or what desire to do so and then like the step-by-step of it yeah, uh, this was, I've been putting off my reel for seven years. <laughs> the last one I made was in 2013 and I looked back on it recently and it's absolute garbage. And I, I've i been putting it off because it's always like the next project is just ahead mm-hmm. and that's going to be the best thing you've ever seen. So why would I make a reel now if the next one is just ahead? And this was a case where I really wanted to direct that music video and I didn't have a succinct director's reel to pitch myself as the director for the music video. And because the turnaround time was so quick, I was just like, okay, I'm gonna lock myself in my room. I'm not gonna come out until I have a reel. That's it, I have to do this. I have to get this music video project. This is something that I'm passionate about. It's gonna lead to more work. I have to get it. There's no, there's no excuses. So I, it, it was edited in a, just, just a, 
almost a coma. I don't know what I was in, <laughs> but I was, it was kind of just like a brain fog that I entered and then emerged at the end. And I was like, I guess this is my reel now. Okay. <laughs> and I posted it to Twitter and it blew up and yeah. I was, I was not at all expecting it at all. Like at all, at all. I was just like, gonna send it to the producer for the music video and just be like hey by the way i direct too here's my reel just so you know and then um it blew up on twitter which was really nice but my my um philosophy behind it was because i do so much i needed to show the different aspects of what i do in the reel so i had to split it up into chapters Oh, okay. So how do I split it up into chapters without losing the viewer and mm -hmm. while making it cohesive and for it to feel like a cohesive video? So I started with the song. I needed to find a song that would work. And I've loved this song, What by Lef, for mm -hmm. years. I've been a fan of this song for seven years and I've never used it in anything. Oh. So I was like, okay, let me use the song because the song is all about pumping himself up. Like that he's um, the... Uh, that he's like the young like god of like being awesome and like he's here to like m make it clear and all this all this really really cool lyrics I'm like I could definitely work with those lyrics I found an instrumental version of it as well I'm like I could oh, bleed cool. the instrumental through if I want to have some live voice bleed through from the actual clips so I started with the song I cut the song down into manageable chapters I wanted to keep the reel under a minute 30 because no one's going to watch a really long reel so I'm like I I like to keep it under a minute. I put it on TikTok. I made a one minute reel for TikTok. Oh, neat. But for Twitter, I decided a minute 30 or under a minute 30. And then I was like, okay, let me start choosing sections of it that I, let me let me section it off so from here to here i'll have my cinematography section from here to here i'll have my editing section and then from the middle to the end of the video is my directing section okay so now that i know just music wise which section is going to be which i can now go into the lyrics and see if anything i've ever shot matches the lyrics for example there was one lyric that's like i'm pouring evian and i know that i have a shot of from like a look like a fake LaCroix commercial i did of like the Evian pouring. So I'm like, okay, so that I'll put there. That's in the cinematography section. There's another one that's like, um, yeah, the one about being like a young phenomenon. Mm -hmm. So I have this like clip of like this little kid on like a big um, swing. So young kid, young phenomenon, I'll put that there. So I started kind of putting, placing clips based on the lyrics. And then I was, I, I thought, what if I have it, an opening bumper? And I knew that I had this clip of The Rock telling Jason Statham that I'm awesome from last year in, in Guangzhou, China. We were on top of a skyscraper on the helipad and um there was like a like a promotional photo shoot going on and so i busted out my little video light because i always keep a video light with me and i like <laughs> i told one of the photographers to hold the video light and i was like my turn please thank you and i like pushed all the photographers away and i like went out in front with my stabilizer and all i told them was like i'm gonna go from the from this side to this side all right i just want you to follow the camera with my eyes i was already rolling so i already have all that audio going and then um the rock tells jason statham like watch what she does she's awesome and internally i'm dying because i hear him saying that and i'm like i i have this footage like i'm recording the footage right now 
because of course you have to turn the camera on before you put your stabilizer on because the stabilizer is a two-handed stabilizer okay. so i can't like press record while holding it so i have to record it on the ground then pick it up then get into position so it was already recording and then i do and then right after he says that i do the most epic orbital move you've ever seen i was like seriously there we go. That's, that's the beginning of my reel it has to be and then it's like built from there so it's like okay we're on the we're on the rooftop the city the city is going in parallax behind them from the left to the right. So let me cut to another rooftop shop shot where the city is going in parallax from the left to the right. But this time it's from a different video, but I don't want to show the person's face because we're so stuck on the image of Jason Statham and the rock that I don't want to go from face to face. So I chose a version where you kind of don't see the woman's head. You kind of just see the outfit and then you cut to, so she's an African-American woman. So I wanted to keep, uh, the skin tones consistent at the beginning to show like that I can work with different diverse people. So diversity right up front, right? So that mm -hmm. to show you that it's not just like white person, white person, white person. So I go, I show a lot of diversity up front and then I go to a man, Demi, who's actually a famous comedian. So I wanted to stack the first 15 seconds with as many celebrities as possible. So it was like The Rock, Jason Satham, Demi, Adijibe, and Shay Mitchell are all in the first 15 seconds. And you see in the previous shot, the parallax of the city was going left to right and the city was blue. And now the next shot is the parallax of the water behind Demi going from left to right. The water is blue. Demi's on an all blue background. Then you cut to my friend Maya on a boat, all blue background. She has this big swooshy fat fabric and then everything so everything is like there is some sort of connection whether yeah. it's the framing yeah. the color what's going on in the background the lyrics that are happening the location the shot and then i also went really deep and each of the each of the titles that you see like the cinematography editing directing is based on what that thing is so cinematography flickers on at the same rate that the footage behind it flickers on so the footage behind it has this flicker effect so i changed the opacity of the word cinematography to flicker at the same rate what? the editing huh. comes on as a staccato beat and then it goes into some fun editing effects like some fun slashes some fun things and then it goes up one letter at a time the word editing goes up one letter at a time while the lyrics say like raising the bar or i forgot the, what the lyrics are but the lyrics match what the what the word editing is doing and the word editing is showing you how i edit with like the staccato beats and then the word directing is actually at the end of the word it's zooming in like a director's viewfinder into the c in directing so everything made sense to me in my brain in my cloud fog in the 16 hours that i was <laughs> editing <laughs> So you doing a behind the scenes for your reel? No. Because <laughs> that's all like, like I had seen it, but like, yeah, like, like you were saying before at the very start of the, um, the, the stream, but like there's so much you miss when you just like watch it once on Twitter. Yeah. Well, it's meant to be watched several times because you see at the end, what I do is I say the word, let's go again. Yeah. And then it cuts to a, like just, just pure... Um, it's like a light gray background that I chose. And yeah. it also starts with the same light gray background. So it's meant to be watched over and over and over again because it starts the same way it finishes. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool though. But yeah, all of that stuff at the beginning, like watching it again, you know, right now, it's like, oh yeah, I see all of that now. But all of that, like, I just realized, or I, I just noticed that it looked really good the yeah. first time I watched it. Uh, Houston, oh, your oh, video my, flipped out. I have a, I have a, 
a bad habit of bumping things when I shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is, um, I actually did a class on the art of the montage at Adobe video world yesterday. And I was covering mm. this topic of how to montage together something from, from separate sources. Mm. And a lot of the reason for montaging for me is that subconscious that you have. So just like you said, Matt, you were watching it. You just thought it looked cool. You didn't realize all of these subconscious things that I was doing yeah. to make the edit look cool. And the important part is that you do not realize it, that it is subconscious, but it makes the edit feel like butter. It makes the edit feel alive. Like you yeah. are like, everything is right, but you don't quite understand why everything is right, but everything feels right. Everything feels like it's in its right place. And that's just like my general, that's just my general philosophy with everything that I do. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it, it's the subtle things. Like, uh, oh, I don't even know what I'm trying to say now. But like, the, I know there's there's some movies that I've seen on like Netflix, or not not movies as much, but like series, where like they're just too in your face about some stuff. Like maybe maybe it's the grading. They're going for a specific look, and it's just it's too much. They just need to tone it back a little bit. It's too dis it's distracting. Yeah. Um, with how much they're they're taking it, but when they do things subtly, you might not even notice, but it gives this maybe this film like grittier look or whatever but you don't notice it as yeah much. i'm all about including subtle details people ask me a lot is like what is your um signature as an artist because you do so many things and one of those signatures is the fact that when you watch anything that i make the edit makes sense you don't know why mm -hmm. it does but it does there's a reason that every shot is placed exactly where it is yeah yeah, that's really cool. That's really, really cool. I'm gonna have to watch that reel again and again and again. <laughs> yeah, watch it a few times. There's a lot more there's a lot more Easter eggs in there than the ones I mentioned. Cool. And it looks like Houston's yeah. dealing um, with this. Well, um, I don't know exactly what's going on. I think my capture card or, or whatnot is not doing what it's supposed to right now. So I apologize for the technical difficulties. Um Let's see. Just in case we, we have reached a little bit over our hour, I'm going to see if there's one one more question before we say goodbye. Um, let me see. Just scrolling through some of the chat. It doesn't it doesn't look like it. Is there anything um, you'd like to talk about or mention or shout out or um, just anything like that, Valentina? Not really. I, I know we're past the hour and I probably talked your head off. I just want to thank you for um, asking like some, some nice deep questions and not just all surface level stuff. Cause I like going deeper into the craft than just like, Oh, so you've worked with so-and-so tell us about it. <laughs> right. And I'm, I'm, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, oh, there is one more question just before we go. What can we expect in your Adobe max presentation? Huh? I'm going to be I'm going to be talking about how to effectively create videos for social media using Premiere Pro. So some top level techniques that I use to get videos out easily, quickly, on time for them to look beautiful, and some some tips that can save you time in Premiere Pro. It's probably worth mentioning for anyone listening that uh, Adobe Max is free this year, so you yes. can you can register for free and then go to whatever sessions you want. I mean, I'm speaking your session. I'm already signed up for yours, uh, but there's a lot there's a lot of great sessions at Adobe Max. Um, so definitely give it a look. It's free, and it's not just for people who use Adobe. There's a lot of just yeah. informational sessions 
there's a lot of um, sessions about the craft and the art and not so much the technology. So you should definitely sign up. It is probably my favorite conference that I go to when we used to go to conferences. Um, well, thank you, thank you, Valentina, for taking the time out of your day to join us today. This was really, really cool. I'm, I'm, I, I don't even have the right, the right words. So, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. This was really fun for me too. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for um, being there for me when I needed a new computer. And uh, <laughs> it's the best computer ever. Uh, it's it's so easy to navigate that now a time nowadays. If I go back to my laptop, ever it's just such a struggle. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah. So um, I guess we'll say we'll say goodbye and. Um... We do. Oh, my normal outro. I almost forget. Uh, we do this every Wednesday and Friday at 1 p.m. Um, Wednesdays are industry experts like Valentina, uh, where they kind of talk about what they do, the workflow, inspiration, things like that. Uh, Fridays, we have um, our labs team um, like Matt, William, Don. Um, actually, this Friday, in fact, is going to be super special because it's going to be John and the labs lads. Everybody from lab labs is going we to be We don't have much with... diversity in labs yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so they're all going to be there. Um, to talk about the new video card stuff that's coming out, how that's going to affect um, everything, basically, that we look at and do. So t um, set your calendars for that. Wednesday, Friday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, and, um, yeah, we'll see you guys there. Bye. All right.